Welcome to the AJ Brown Show, where we talk about all things investing, options trading, and the like. Now here's your host, AJ, whose primary mission in life is to help you become a better investor. And welcome back, everyone, to another episode of the AJ Brown Show. My name is Cyprian Francis, and with me, as always, the main man of the hour, AJ Brown. Good morning, AJ. Hey, Cyprian. How you doing, buddy? I'm doing great. You know, it's an exciting week in a in a good and a bad way, right? Last week, we were harping on Russia, Ukraine, inflation, and lo and behold, Russia invaded Ukraine and the markets reacted. And what are your thoughts on that? Uh, the, what's surprising is what happened yesterday, right? The, the we, we were bracing ourselves for, you know, this major downturn in the market. Instead, the markets rallied, didn't they? And there's still a lot of skepticism about what's going on. But I think that the market feels comfortable with the amount of sanctions that have been applied to all the different places that sanctions can be applied. And they're treating it as a transient external stochastic shock. Like, okay, that's done. Let's move on. Yeah. And, and we don't really want to comment on the political side because that's not what we do. But what I kept thinking as I kept hearing the news was that wedge that we discussed in our previous episodes. And in my mind, I was like, okay, well, this is the catalyst that that paints the rest of the story yeah yeah we were wondering so we've been looking on our charts at this level at 4300 and we were wondering would we break down and what's interesting is on wednesday we definitely dipped below but it wasn't a complete and i always make sure when i look for follow-through that i get a complete open high low close bar a complete bar below whatever threshold. If I'm straddling that threshold, I want to see a follow-through day. Well, the next day we definitely opened lower and we wound up during the first hour of trading going even monumentally lower, but then sanity kind of came back and we closed right at just slightly less than that level. And today we're rallying up above that. And so from a technical perspective, that level is holding. Yeah, and and what I've always thought with these chart patterns or, or or had questions about was the the overnight action versus the U.S. session, right? Because because of the time difference and when the attack started, that big move down happened a lot in the overnight, right? And then Absolutely. and then in the first hour of trading, that's when it started to level out. So after hours and pre-session trading, uh, typically. You know, either it's the market movers who have access to that, or it's a lot of international folks who wind up trading in that kind of stuff. And so the futures, right? So there's trading in the actual markets. I think there's a couple of hours after the market closes, and then there's a couple of hours before the market opens, or maybe an hour before the market opens, where there can be some special trading. But then people trade futures all night, right? What do they expect? Futures is another form of derivative kind of like an option and where you kind of are guessing at what is really going to be happening when the market opens. So one of the things I like to look at when something like this is happening is the overnight futures, especially I like to wake up early in the morning, take a look at those futures and then compare it to the first hour of trading and then the trading that goes on the rest of the day. Because a lot of times 
if the first hour of trading, the trading that goes on the rest of the day and the futures all align, that's a nice strong movement. But what we saw was futures were going down and we saw the first hour trading go down, but then we saw some some sanity come back in and the actual movers of the market, the ones who are trading the actual equities and ETFs, they were like, no, nah, I don't think that this is a, a, a thing we have to worry about so bad. And they started to bring the market up. Yeah, and I and I kept hearing the correlation to oil. It seemed like there was a, a a great correlation yesterday because of the geopolitical component of oil. And I think it was over a hundred, and then it came back, and the markets kind of reacted to that. But also, what I was thinking is that that huge bar is volume and it's volatility, and so, like we discussed in our previous episode, that creates premium buy, uh, selling opportunities. And so I'm curious to know what was going off on your side when you're seeing these big moves. Well, we're using our protective options. And I think that we've got somebody who asks a question later in the, the program where we're going to cover on that. But I also want to, you know, I, I was looking at the patterns on the S&P 500 like I am right now. And it reminded me something that I had written an article on. So I went to our, our web portal, uh, not our web portal, just our tradingtrainer.com website. And I went to resources and articles. I've been contributing articles to this for, gosh, over 15 years. And I went back, I searched on an article that I wrote, gosh, back in 2010 or 11 called The Counting Method to Determine a Market Bottom. And so I pulled up this article that I wrote, and there's an actual method that we can use to determine, is it likely that we have found a market bottom? And I'd like to go through that if you've got a minute, Sip. Well, yeah. And, and it you know, we're looking at that big spike and the question would come up. Does this mean bottom? Exactly. Yeah. So let's, let's, let's go into it. So if you've got some sort of down move, then when you have an up bar like we had yesterday, that's day one of the counting method determine a market bottom. And what you want to know about day one is whatever the daily low is, that becomes a level of support. And so day two and day three, the only thing that has to happen is that the bar has to stay above that level of support. If it doesn't stay above that level of support, then what that means is that the counting method is null and void. But if they do, it's day four, five, six, even seven, but better if it's day four than day seven, you're looking for a 1% price move on heavy volume, a 1%. So let's take a look over here because we were in a down rally once before and we had our first up day. And so we established that level of support Day two and day three stayed above that. Day four, it was a down day, but it did still stay above that level. Day five, we had over a 1% price action move, and it was on heavy volume. And you can see that we had a little bit of a rally all the way up to our level of resistance before we started to fall back. So the question is, is this was day one. We'll see what happens today and on Monday. And on Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, at the latest Friday, but it would be better if it was Tuesday, if we see 1% of price action on heavy volume, 
then then that could be significant, especially now we're going to be watching this level of resistance. Now, if anything happens in the next days and we wind up dipping below this $4,114.65 level, then, hey, we should consider ourselves in it for perhaps some more downturn. Um, so I'm watching that carefully, Sip, in the next days. Yeah, and 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 I was gonna ask. So, is there like a number, uh, like a day component to the method? Yeah. So day four would be the most ideal follow-through day. That would be the day that we're looking for a one percent gain in the market on heavy volume. It could also come day five, six, or seven. But if it was day four we would know that the whole market's behind this rally. And I have to met, uh, just mention that whenever we're looking for a market bottom, it does seem that this counting method gets mat met. So it's necessary that this counting method gets met. But what I have found, especially recently, which is why I had to refresh my memory and go back to this article that I wrote over 10 years ago, is that it's not sufficient. There's so much crazy stuff happening these days, and there's a lot of volatility that even if this is met, we need to continue to watch. And just like this was a failed rally the last time it was met, it came right back down. That could happen again. But seeing this is like the first step towards a kind of like rally that's going to happen. And you want to see it. This doesn't quite work on... Uh, individual stocks. What you're looking at is for a market rally. So you're going to look at the S&P 500. You're going to also apply this probably to the Dow Jones. So if you take a look at the Dow Jones, here was day one yesterday. Day two, we simply have to stay above $32,270.64. Day three, the same. Day four, we'll be looking for a 1% gain in price on heavy volume. Same thing with the NASDAQ. Um, if I pull up the NASDAQ chart, there it is. Yesterday was day one, 12,587.88. We want to make sure that today and Monday we stay above that level. And then hopefully on Tuesday, if we see a 1% gain across the board on these big three indexes, uh, that could mean that we're going to be changing our our view on what the market's doing. Yeah, and it was definitely the U.S. market that was leading this rally. Um and it, it may start to become a, a world more of like, I mean, we are world leader, but like favored because of the instability around the world. And I would say that. And I would also say, you know what? That would be the first piece. There's a lot more that needs to click in. And there's a lot of stuff kind of against us. I mean, take a look at this. We still, you, you know, you guys know that I follow the uh, 10-year treasury bond. It still is right around 2%. So the bond traders are telling me they're not worried about inflation in the long term still. And so I've kind of got a little breath of fresh air there. But if I take a look at um, our Econo Day, let's see if I can pull that up, had it up, but I'm going to pull it up now. We just a few minutes ago had the uh, Econo Day. Spelling is not my strong part. Um, we had the release of the consumer price index, right? And that was uh, a 
economic indicator made famous by Alan Greenspan. It was his favorite indicator. It's called the Personal Incomes and Outlays Report. It comes out once a month. So it came out just a, just under three hours ago. Let's take a look at it. Um, and I want to help people understand the CPI. The Consumer Price Index is a way to understand inflation. And what uh, Alan Greenspan used to do is he actually had them uh, also come up with the Personal Consumption Expenditures Price Index and the core one. And he used to build a lot of his decisions on the core PCE price index. And so this pulls out a lot of the volatile things in our markets that might be, um, you know, having us react to inflation prematurely. And he just looked at some key things. And this came in at 5.2% year over year. I mean, that's incredible. The U.S. hasn't pushed inflation over 2% for, gosh, a long time, 30, Year, 30 decades, 40 years. Yeah. yeah 30, decades. Yeah. And this is at 5.2%. So that's a little bit hot. And so once this Ukraine becomes in the rear view mirror, people are going to go right back to this topic of inflation and they're going to be looking at what the fed is going to do moving forward. So let me ask the question, uh, a quarter point increase isn't bad for the economy in lieu of a war. <laughs> true. Right? And it's true, but I said this last week. The market has priced in a quarter point increase. They have not priced in a half point increase. So if the Fed comes back and decides uh, in the next week or two when they meet that it's going to be a half point increase, Wall Street's going to react negatively. I can tell you that. Yeah, and I believe uh, a lot of the talking heads are looking forward to that chatter to see what the economic leaders are going to comment on the geopolitical component, which in a way does ha have an impact. Um, it does. It does. And, and you know, the long-term plays are going to be interesting. I think with, you know, you see two things happen when the price of oil gets this high across the world. Um, and, you know, the, the, the whole, the, there were some decisions made after Fukushima uh, burnt down in Europe that they would abandon a lot of their nuclear programs. And I think they're having second thoughts on that. I mean, France was mostly run on nuclear. Germany had quite a bit. And Germany under uh, Angela Merkel was like, we're going to start to shut down nuclear and we'll just buy oil from Russia and burn oil. That's biting them in the butt. And I'm glad that whoever, I, I don't remember his name, it's the person who's replaced Angela Merkel, has decided, you know, that they're not going to they're not going to keep going with that big pipeline that was built. I don't know how long that's last going to last. They'll probably, you know, as things quiet down, they'll resume that work. But I think that we're going to see alternative energy plays here in the market over the next years. I think there's a lot of focus on that. Um, I think that nuclear is coming back. Um, fusion, I think, you know, they've made some big progress in uh, fusion. I think that, you know, they keep saying fusion is 40 years away. I think it's getting closer and closer. I think people are just not going to give in to these wars that are over oil anymore. Plus, a lot of the younger generations are really pushing us on global warming, which they should, which everybody should. And so, 
you know, fossil fuels, I don't know if we're going to go back to uh, 100% fracking for oil to solve this problem of high oil prices. I think people are going to move to, e, uh, you know, EVs on their cars. They have less maintenance. They uh cleaner, whatever you want to say, and looking for different forms of doing electricity. Yeah, we'll keep an eye on that. Uh, we'll, yep. we'll, we'll try and uh, find some plays there as we progress. Uh, we, we do hope that the situation in the Ukraine resolves yeah. itself, right? Because I don't, you know, it's, I don't it's know. disheartening. Modern, modern warfare. I don't know what that looks like. It's, yeah. it's evolving right in front of us. Cyber warfare. Also, you know, the, the folks that, uh, that they've got, uh, took over Chernobyl. So that's a little bit scary. So we'll see. Yeah, we'll keep an eye on it. Um, all right. So we're going to go and jump into some questions from the audience. But before we do that, just want to remind everybody that, uh, AJ does have a daily workshop where he's breaking down a lot of his strategies. I'm going to go ahead and put the link in the chat and um, we're going to play our little fancy commercial here and get you all excited for it. And then we'll dig into some questions. So if you have a question while this is playing, feel free to throw it in the chat and we'll try and get to it. I get it. You're afraid of trading in the markets. Guess what? I've got your answer. I've got four strategies I'm gonna give you along with the tools to make it super easy. I'm going right home, giving you the webinar. I need you to sign up below and meet me in a few minutes. A All right. from our sponsor. Yeah, we Tesla did not pay us for that. We tried, no. we reached out, Elon was like, you guys aren't big enough yet. And we told them we're working on it. We said everybody that watches us is going to tell their friends to subscribe. All right. So let's go into our first question, uh, which is Ryan from Athens, Georgia, I believe. And he wants to talk about Sally May. This is a stock that we have not covered yet. Yeah, Ryan. And, and Sally May was in the news, gosh, what, 12 years ago, 13 years ago, as part of the whole economic breakdown of the late 2000s. Um, so I haven't actually focused on Sally May for a while, so it was nice to hear about this question. Sally, you know, Ryan was interested in, is this you know ripe for premium trade? So let's take a look at it. Um, definitely, if I, I'm looking at six months right now, but I want to go back and look at a, a little bit longer time frame. You know, ever since March of last year, it looks like Sally May has become quite boring, which means that's right up my alley, right? Anything that's quite boring is going to be one that we can collect some premium on consistently. Plus, Sally May gives a nice dividend. They've been giving 11 cents a share. So that's not a bad call, especially with its price being around $20. So let's zoom back into what's happening recently. Um, let's also, if we want to know if we can make this into a nice long-term premium trade, uh, Ryan, let's go and take a look at the option chain. We want to make sure that there's liquidity. We want to make sure that there's liquidity in our protective options. We want to make sure that there's liquidity in our premium options. And so, and, and we want to know if it's possible to substitute instead of 
using as a covering position the stock, can we use a back month option? And so, yeah, I mean, there's premium. It looks like there's a, a little bit of liquidity on the back month options. The bid ask spread is quite large. It might be easier just to buy shares of Sally Mae, plus it's inexpensive enough, or short shares of Sally Mae. Um, let's look at protective options. I'll go out to July. You know, it, it, there's not a lot of open interest. Let's look at the May options. Not a lot of open interest uh, that I'm seeing here. It looks like if you have a smaller portfolio, like a portfolio under $50,000, perhaps you can uh, turn this into a big trade. But if you start having a bigger portfolio, you'll see that Sally May might not be the company for you. But look at this pattern. I mean, look how clear the tops and the bottoms have been. And so in my mind, yeah, uh, what I would do, it looks like I may be testing a top here. I would look for an opportunity to short some Sally May stock. And then and that puts me in a, so when I short, it means that I'm borrowing some shares from my broker and I'm selling to open. And so I want these things to go lower in price because if I were to buy to close that, I would want to buy it back at a lower price than what I sold it at. And if it starts to bottom out around 17 to 17.50 and head back up, instead of just buying to close the trade, what I could do is I could set up that certainty by using some options. I would sell a near term at the money, erroring to the side of out of the money put, and I would buy for myself some protection, probably up here around the $21 strike price of a protective call. Uh, that would protect me just in case the position goes against me and I could offset those that cost of protection with selling that premium, especially if I've got a reversal in hand, the likelihood that that premium is gonna get exercised will be reduced. And so, that's what I would do. And then I would continue. I would rinse and repeat that. I would leave that shorted position in place as long as I can. And I'd continue to rinse and repeat, rinse and repeat on creating that trading zone. And that trading zone is going to pay me in two ways. That trading zone is going to pay me when I sell that premium. And that trading zone is going to pay me every time I roll out my protective option. My protective option, I'll go three to six months out. My a premium will always be near term. So I can see how this would be a trade. My only warning is, is when your portfolio gets bigger, uh, this Sally May may not support you. It doesn't have enough liquidity in it for bigger traders. Wonderful. And it does, it does look like it checks a lot of those boxes that you like, except yeah. for the li liquidity, um, which yeah. can cause, um, you know, the trade not to be as smooth as it, you know, might in other situations. All right. So let's move on to uh, something that we covered in our previous episode, and that's Goodyear. Um, and, and Norma from Dallas it has a question about um, using the stop loss as an option versus the selling or some variation of that. Yeah. 
Norma wanted wants some clarity around why I wouldn't just buy a stock and have a stop loss order versus why would I want to have a protective option? Um, so let me let me just explain it this way. Uh, and, and you know that kind of also brings up if you're in some sort of stock or directional option position and you know that earnings is coming, we talk about you know going into a cash position or setting up that protective option to protect yourself because the reason is the stop loss orders, a lot of folks don't understand this. So when you have an order, you're going to um, either decide if that order is going to be a market order or a limit order. A limit order, you're going to specify the price at which this fills. So I might say a limit order of $17 or a market order, you don't specify the price. So the market order is going to go at whatever price is going at at that moment. So when you place something in, so the thing is, is with a market order, you're guaranteed a fill. The fill, the timing of the trade is guaranteed, but the price is not. With a limit order, the price is guaranteed, but the timing of when it gets filled or even if it gets filled is under scrutiny. So when you have an order, you're going to specify whether it's a market or limit order. And when you do a stop loss order, you're still going to specify whether it's a market or limit order. And usually stop loss orders are used to protect yourself against risk. So this whole idea, this whole philosophy behind a limit order kind of goes out the window. You don't want to put um, secondary whether the order gets filled if you're protecting yourself against risk. You want to guarantee that the order gets filled. but when you go with the market order, you're not guaranteeing the price that it gets filled at. So a lot of folks are under the misconception that when you set a stop loss order, that figure you put in, like for instance, maybe I want my stop loss order again to fill at $17 or $20 or whatever number you put in here, that at $20, your order will get filled at $20. And that's not the case. What that number means, that $20 number means is that's the dollar figure that will trigger this order going to the market. Once the order's at the market, it, if it's a market order, it'll get filled at whatever price. If it's a limit order, we'll see if there's any you know, sellers or buyers that want to go ahead and complete that transaction. And if there aren't, the order won't fill or at least right away. So think about that. If Goodyear Tire is on a sell-off because earnings, you know, didn't didn't go as expected, then you're trying to sell your Goodyear Tire. You say, hey, place my order when the underlying symbol price hits $20. When you say, okay, I've got an order out there. Will somebody please buy my Goodyear tire? Goodyear tire just missed expectations, right? So who who the heck is going to buy your Goodyear tire? So by the time somebody does agree to buy it, they're not going to do it at twenty dollars. 
A stop loss order never, especially a stop loss market order, does not guarantee the price. A lot of times people will be so surprised. They said, well, I placed a stop loss order at $20, but when I came in and looked at my account later, I only got $17. How did that happen? Well, it's because the order went in when the underlying symbol price was at $20. The underlying symbol price was going down so fast. In fact, Goodyear Tire it dropped this much in the first 15 minutes of trading. And then after that, it kind of just stabilized down at the bottom here. But in the first 15 minutes of trading of that day is when it dropped. Nobody wanted to, when the price dropping, nobody was going to give you $20. That's just when your order went in. By the time somebody was willing to give you any money for it, they were only willing to give you $17. And if you would have put a limit order in, that order would not have filled. Now, if you had a protective option in at $20, that's a whole different thing. By putting a protective option in at $20, what that means is as soon as the underlying symbol dips below $20, that protective option is going to start increasing in value, in intrinsic value. The intrinsic component is the value of the option that's going to live past expiration. So it's going to increase in value at the same rate that your stock is going down. In other words, at $20, risk stops. There's a certainty. You can say, okay, if my underlying symbol goes to $20, you can calculate exactly how much loss you're going to have. And you can say, okay, I've set up this block at $20. That's the maximum loss. Anything below that, and the loss has stopped. So you can actually create certainty ahead of something that's uncertain like earnings, whereas with a stop loss order, there's no certainty in that, right? So that's why we would use protective options and use this type of strategy over just holding the position and hoping a stop loss works. Yeah, and that's because the contract itself is based on that $20 and 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 you there's no... Um, variation from that um so that's, that's a, a great that, that's absolutely right you got it sit yeah so great question from norma appreciate it um great explanation and, and it does make a lot of sense um and then what i was thinking is when you don't get that uh fill i believe they call that slippage right mm -hmm. right and it kind of just depends on the market makers how many orders are on the books and that's what those guys at the trading floor are sitting there doing, basically, or at least what they used to do. Absolutely. You know, and, and you just got to kind of put your mind around it. Uh, the, the dollar value that you put in when you set a stop loss order is just put your mind around it. It's the value of when the order will be triggered, not filled. If you were to decide, you know, and brokers allow you to do this, to do a stop loss limit order, they'd ask you for two dollar figures. One would be, when should we send this order to the market? And the other dollar value would be, what dollar value are you willing to accept on the transaction? And so just keep your mind that a stop loss order value does not mean that's the value it's going to get filled at. There could be slippage. Yeah, and good brokers do try and get you filled at those orders if if they can. But, you know, in the case of an earnings move, like on Goodyear Tire, there's no way you would have gotten filled at your stop loss value because literally in minutes, in seconds, it was dropping 
um, in value until it's stabilized just under $17. So, so I'm, I'm curious. So how quickly do the options react to that move? Like, is there a delay? No, instantly. No, instantly. no because the put option, the protective put option at $20 it goes up in value dollar for dollar. The intrinsic value increases instantly because if you were to exercise that option right away, you would get that dollar figure no matter where the expiration date of that option is. That option is worth that amount. It's just how, how the math works. And a lot of people say, well, then why do you set up um, why do you set up the, uh, top zone? Doesn't that limit your potential gains if it moved up? It does. But one of the reasons why we sell that premium is it offsets the cost of that protection. And so we set up this top limit because not necessarily, you know, a lot of people who come from a trading background are saying, Hey, we need to protect our covered call, but a better way to actually think about it from the market mover perspective, the guys that are in there running investment funds and things like that is they are buying protection and in order to offset the cost of intection, the the protection, they sell premium. And that's a different way to wrap your mind around it. But maybe we should embrace the way that the people who are moving the market thinks about things, right? Yeah. And if anybody's wanting to learn more about that, feel free to check out the workshop that's in the comment section. Uh, it will break down some of these strategies some more. One thing that I started to look at yesterday during the sell-off because of the new sanctions was what Russian companies trade on the NYSE mm. and what they were what they were doing. And it kind of leads into the next question. Not that Russia and China are correlated, but there are some similarities in 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 ideology there. And so uh, something that was kind of in the news was Alibaba. That's a, you know, a big Chinese company. And that's our next question from Peter in Singapore. He was curious about the setup, what's going on there. If he can get, you know, use this premium selling strategy. What are your thoughts, AJ? All right. So Alibaba following this company for a while, but they kind of had a smackdown uh, by the uh, Chinese government. And that started to make... Um, the price of Alibaba shrink, right? Because Jack was, uh, Jack, the CEO, was an outspoken person around capitalism. And uh, that kind of was something that the next thing you know, he was quiet for a while. And we don't know what's happening there. Uh, with that said, the price of Alibaba has been dropping. And so my knee jerk reaction is number one, we don't want to trade at times of war. We want to trade at times of peace. I would say that this could be a great position to short. Uh, whether you short the stock or you buy a deep in the money, far out in time put option in order to capitalize on the downward movement. And then, of course, every time, so we, we are on this program, we're always talking about range expansion whenever we're going in the direction of the bigger trend. That's called range expansion. And range contraction is when you go against it. So whenever I see range contraction, in this case, it's kind of neat to watch because 
range contraction is actually going up in price and then range expansion is going down in price. Whenever I see range contraction and I've got my deep in the money, far out in time put that only wants to work when the underlying symbol price goes down, that's when I would sell my premium. And so, yeah, I think this is a great premium trade. I would, again, want to be short the underlying symbol or buy some deep in the money back month puts. And I would want to probably time it uh, when it's at the top of said channel. So this would have been a good time. This would have been a good time. Even about five or six, seven, eight days ago would have been a good time. I would wait for it to, again, top out. And then that would be my time to be buying those deep in the money, far on time put options. In fact, let's take a look just really quick over here at the, the option chain for Alibaba. It's one of those companies that can support a big portfolio. I mean, lots and lots of options trading here, 10,000 contracts. You could definitely find a back month deep in the money, far out in time call option. You could definitely find, look at all the liquidity here, a back month deep in the money put option, which is what I'm suggesting you do. Um, let's see, this one is eight into 40. Maybe I go even deeper. I like this one right here, a 150 strike price or the 155 strike price. So you're deep in the money. You're far out in time. This thing's not going to expire until January of next year. I would buy those. And then every time I get those moments of range contraction where the underlying symbol starts to go against a shorted position rather than going for the shorted position, whenever it goes against, wherever it tops out, that's where I would buy my protective call, sell my uh, put, things like that. I, I think that that's kind of the best the best position here. I think that's that's what I would do. Yeah. Yeah, and I would assume that that hundred mark is just some psychological level that that might get some play. Maybe. I mean, always round numbers. But let's go out. Let's just look at a ten-year chart. Hmm. Maybe. Maybe resistance becomes support, but. Again, just like you pointed out right in the beginning of this question, uh, Alibaba plays under a set of different rules where just overnight it can get a smackdown from government regulators. And so I'm not sure if investors are even going to pay attention to the round numbers. We'll see. But I'm thinking that this thing is uh, this thing is on a, a, a until until some clarity around where Alibaba plays uh, plays their business game comes out, I think that we'll see Alibaba continue to lose value. And it, does that say ADR in the in the ticker? Right? It, were they delisted off the NYSE? Hmm. You know, I don't know. Uh, I'd have to research a little bit further. I actually, ever since Alibaba, you know, it's at a third of its all-time high. Ever since it got kind of smacked down, I've not been following it the way that I used to. Yeah, way too much uh, 
geopolitical risk in in that one I, I believe but the beautiful no but the beautiful part of it is that it's now becoming into an affordable price and with options we can make money if the market goes down if the symbol goes down up or sideways in this case down so you know this is a perfect opportunity to let options shine for us um it's just about to unless it already did well, let's see when earnings is earnings was yesterday it looks like yeah uh, and you know that the market temporarily looked at it favorably but then had a reality check and looks like it's continuing down so yeah i would trade it the only other thing about alibaba though is yes it's not as difficult to trade options on it at the $300 mark as it is the $100 mark but it's still at $100 so you have to um, realize you're going to need a bigger portfolio to do trades on this. Um, you, you know, I, I would imagine you need at least $50,000 to be able to trade this with options because you yeah. need to buy everything in lots of 100. And that is much more affordable than the 300 it was, it was trading at. All right. Our last question. Um, I'm not sure who this is from. Maybe you got that on your side, but uh, we're going to talk about XLF which is something we discussed in, I believe, our last episode or the episode before. Yeah, I, <laughs> XLFs, um, this is not. This is what I wanted to feature. So this got brought up at our, uh, our weekly workshop. So in my program, Sip, I've got a weekly workshop that we do on Thursdays where all of the users of our premium selling program come in and they throw tickers at us, me and Coach Jay. And we evaluate those tickers and we find one that looks like the lowest hanging fruit. And XLF wound up getting picked last night. And we planned this out um, in order so that we could do some back testing, forward testing, and ultimately real money trading. And XLF, as we pointed out on this show, is really setting up nicely and along with the market, it looks like the signal is coming today or Monday for us to think about buying some XLF or even better, buying some back month deep in the money calls. And so I wanted to kind of highlight that because we had talked about looking for a bottom. Well, the bottom's here. And so if we buy some shares of the XLF ETF, whether it be on Friday or Monday. And I recommend if you've never done these strategies before or you aren't familiar with XLF that you try it on paper. Uh, don't, you know, don't go into this unknowingly. I'm not giving you any recommendations. I can't do that. But this is a bottom being found and then we'll wait for it wherever it tops out, whether it tops out here, here, or even up here. Uh, we'll think about setting up our premium. And if you remember correctly, if it decides to top out even higher, and our rule of thumb here is if it decides to top out above $43, we'll just take our profits. We'll go ahead and close that position. But any type of topping out under $43, we'll go ahead and set up some protection. So we're talking about buying it around now. So maybe we'll set up protection at $38. That means buy a protective put at the $38 strike price three to six months out. And in order to offset that cost, we'll sell some premium wherever we're at. We'll go ahead and sell the next option strike price up near term 
to offset that cost and then just let it fly, right? Let this be boring. Let this go sideways. And we're protected both sides. We set up a trade zone. We've created a certain position and we know exactly how much we've got in the game. Yeah, and those those look like your traditional or your popular uh, zone layers there with the red and the green and the and and so uh, this does look like a great setup. Textbook over the next what five weeks or so, maybe a little shorter. Oh, it looks like I mean, if we look at where it's gone in the past, it usually takes about two weeks. So if I buy some symbols either today or on Monday, and then a week to two weeks from now, I set up that trade zone, there might be enough premium, especially with what's going on in the market right now, where options, you know, if you can sell options, um, you're making a lot of money, a lot more than we usually make, because there's a lot of buyers looking for protection of options. So if I sell some options, I could probably sell them. I wouldn't doubt that I could sell some March 18 options and cash in some premium money right there. Beautiful. All right, we'll keep an eye on this one. We did have a ticker come up in the chat, and I'm not even sure what this company is, but it's H-B-A-N. Huntington Bank. Is this one of our boring ones? Uh, Yeah. Huntington Bank is one of our boring ones. Same thing like XLF. And that that makes sense because XLF is an EF that kind of does the whole financial sector. Huntington Bank is in that financial sector. It looks like a bottom is being found. So same situation that we were just talking around XLF. You know, if all of your signals are telling you that the bottom has been found, then this would be a great opportunity in order to, you know, buy some of this symbol or buy some of the back month options if there's liquidity on them and then wait for an opportunity to sell premium. Yeah, it looks almost identical to what you just went over. Yeah, imagine um, that. And, and the pricing is good there, um, under, under under $20. So, yeah, uh, great um, suggestion. Uh, so... With that, if uh, anyone's watching that's kind of new, uh, feel free to hit that subscribe or that follow button and leave any questions that you have in the comments. We'll try and get to them as they come up through the shows, but we do appreciate them. Well, what about, don't you think they should wish you a happy birthday? Yes. Wish me a happy birthday, please. <laughs> Sip is an old man. Yeah, it that's part of the game, right, AJ? I'm just I'm learning from the best. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so happy. Uh, I'm I'm happy to hear about your birthday. I hope you have a good weekend and a nice celebration. Yeah, the unique part was it was uh, two twenty two twenty twenty two, and I was seeing a lot of posts about like you know the the Zen behind it or meanings and stuff. So. I felt I had to get out of the house and, and celebrate a little bit, but um, we try and take it easy during the week. But this weekend, we will, you know, we will make sure we take care of that. I love it. I love it. Well, happy birthday, buddy. Thanks, AJ. Um, so with that, we're going to keep an eye on the market for the rest of the day, probably because of the geopolitical components. And I mean, I don't know what your thoughts are on Fridays going into a war situation 
and then having the market, you know, open back up on Monday, you know, how do you, how do you approach something like that? When in doubt, either set up that trade zone, you might have to set up those, you know, protective options prematurely, meaning you were waiting for a certain top or bottom and to get the best price, you know, maybe it's time to just pull the trigger and get those protective options in place and, or it doesn't hurt to cash out, right? Cash out. You can't, once you're in cash, the cash is going to be a more secure place. And then once the transient external stochastic shock has passed, you can always get back in. Safest is in cash. And if uh, if you want to learn any of the strategies, because there are a variety for markets that go up, markets that go down, markets that uh, are boring, markets that move, uh, feel free to jump into that workshop, check it out, uh, let us know what you think. And... Um, I suppose with that, we'll uh, we'll go ahead and close the show out and uh, catch everybody next week. Yeah. Quick, uh, I just saw a quick question come in. I'm going to answer it really quick. Near-term options for selling premium three to five weeks out, protective options three to six months out, and if you're going to do any option substitutes for an underlying symbol, go more than eight months out. And that's all I'm going to say there for the question. That was from uh, Rahman and... Uh, Shapley. I think I probably myrtleized those names. I apologize for that. And with that, everyone, we'll catch you next week. Thank you again. Bye, everybody. Thank you for tuning into the AJ Brown Show. If you're interested in learning more about AJ and his investing techniques, head on over to tradingtrainer.com and create your free account today. And if you're not already a subscriber to the show, hit that subscribe button and we'll get you fresh content daily.